This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priest. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed. Were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I presume wherever you're at spiritually, whether you're very close to God right now or whether you're very far away from God at another extreme, that you're here because we all want to try to grow spiritually in the upcoming week. I believe that the readings we just heard, I'm going to focus on the first reading and the gospel reading, have a pattern of two significant major spiritual choices. Uh, let me take that back. Straightforward major spiritual choices that every single one of us can make in the week ahead over and over and over again that almost guarantee spiritual growth. They're so straightforward they can be taken for granted. They're absolutely doable. They turn out to be major. So hopefully you'll get the easy parallel in these two readings. First reading we heard is from the second book of Kings. This is set around 850 years before Christ in the kingdom of Israel when Elisha is God's active prophet. I encourage you to read the whole chapter, 2 Kings 5, this week at home. It's cited in the bulletin. It's on our social media. In the story, there is a character, a person named Naaman. Very good pronunciation, by the way. Naaman. Naaman is a general in the army of the king of Aram, which is in Damascus in Syria. So he's a non-Jewish person. If you read the chapter this week, you'll see the scripture writer says that Naaman is a valiant man and he has leprosy. So some sort of serious skin disease that is a real hardship in his life. The Arameans, in a battle, take prisoners from the people of Israel. And among these prisoners is a little girl who becomes the servant of Naaman's wife. The little girl says that she wishes that Naaman would travel to Israel where Elisha is God's prophet. Elisha has been the source of all sorts of wonderful things for God. The little girl says this, Naaman hears it, and Naaman says, tells the report of what the little girl has said to the king of Aram. The king of Aram says, go to Israel, and I'll write a letter. I, the king of Aram, will write a letter to the king of Israel. 
So Naaman collects a lot of valuable things. He's got a bunch of people who travel with him. He collects silver, gold, and festal garments, and off they go to Israel. They get to Israel. Naaman gives the letter from the king of Aram to the king of Israel. King of Israel reads it. The letter says, I, the king of Aram, am sending you my servant Naaman so that you may heal him of his leprosy. The king of Israel flips out. That's a biblical expression. He flips out. He tears his garments. He's so upset. He says, what am I? I'm paraphrasing. Am I a god with power over life and death that I can heal this person's leprosy? The king of Aram is setting me up for a quarrel. He knows I can't do this. Elisha the prophet hears about this. And Elisha says, this is actually a pretty close friend. Why did you rend your garments? Send him to me so that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You following the story? Shall I begin again? Are you following this story? Thank you. It's a revival all of a sudden. So off Naaman goes, goes to outside the door of the prophet Elisha. Elisha doesn't even leave the house. He sends a message to Naaman that he should go bathe seven times in the river Jordan. Naaman is very angry at this. He says, he won't even come down to speak with me. I thought he would come down here. He would invoke the Lord his God. He would pass his hand over my leprosy and I would be healed. Besides which, all the waters in Damascus are better than the waters of the Jordan. And he turns in anger to go away. His servants, Naaman's servants, reason with him. They actually care about him, clearly. They say to him, if the prophet told you to do something extraordinary, you would have done it. He's told you to go seven times into the river. Do what he tells you to do. So Naaman is upset. He doesn't get it. He, there's a lot of drama in this story for a bunch of adults, but he makes the decision. Straightforward, major decision number one, he obeys. Obedience of faith. He basically can hear what he's been told to do by someone who is supposedly connected with God. He doesn't want to do it. He's got all these emotions flying around. There is all this drama with all these other people, but it is doable. It's not the end of the world. It is not any kind of risk to his health, even if the water of the Jordan is dirty. He obeys. He does what he's been told, supposedly, is what God wants him to do. Dives three times, plunges seven times, rather, into the Jordan, and there's a miraculous healing. His skin is returned to being like the skin of a little child, and he's healed. The whole story is about God. All the power is about God. The healing only comes from God, but that significant major decision to obey what God has said through Elisha, that's how God's grace unfolds in his life. There is much more in this story. He then makes significant, straightforward, major decision number two. He makes the choice to go back and give thanks. So he turns around, he goes back to Elisha, he praises God in a loud voice. He's getting way past the miracle. Look at how much God is growing in him. 
He says out loud in front of other people, he now knows the only true God on the planet is the God of Israel. He then, to show how real the thanks is, he tries to give valuable items to Elisha. You know that your thanks to God particularly, or to a person, you know it's real, it's deep, when you desire to sacrifice in return for what you've been given. He tries to give Elisha, you know, the gold, the silver, the festal garments. Elisha says, no, I presume Elisha wants him to focus on God, not on him. He then says, will you give me two mule loads of earth, of the dirt of Israel? He's back in his country, worshiping the false god Rimen on the land of Damascus. He wants the earth of Israel because it's the earth of the one true God. So he can bring it back, put it down on the ground in Damascus. He says, I'm no longer to offer sacrifices or holocausts to the false God, only to the true God. And it gets even deeper. He says, when I go back and I have to go with the king into the temple of the false God, Rimen, the king is going to bow down and I'm going to have to do the same thing but I'm not going to mean it. And I hope that the Lord will forgive me for this. Look at the growth that has taken place in this man. He now knows the true God. He's thought through the gift he's received. In giving thanks, he's become much more selfless. He's thought through the future implications. He's honest about his limitations. He's already seeking God's forgiveness for his own weaknesses. That is a lot. And Elisha says to him, go in peace. Okay, example number two. You'll see the parallel. Gospel reading we do. Oh, by the way, Naaman is cited by Jesus, that story, in Luke 4. So that's an important story to Jesus. I hope it's an important story to you and me. So now we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. Ten lepers encounter Jesus. So these are people with a skin disease. And I think you'll remember from the Old Testament, the prescriptions of the Jewish law include that people with leprosy have to distance themselves from people who are ritually clean. If you've got the skin disease, you're considered ritually unclean, so you have to distance yourself from everybody else. They're observing those regulations. Ten lepers, they call out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Maybe they know a lot about Jesus. Maybe they just know a little about Jesus. Maybe they've just heard that he's associated with God. They know enough to call him Master. Are they looking for money? Could be. Are they looking for a cure? Could be. But they at least understand that they still matter, that they have value. And they're hoping that Jesus, who is only associated with God, will do something to improve their horrible situation. So, Jesus says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So, in the Old Testament, if you have been cured of your leprosy, you go to the priests, the priests examine you, the priests see that it's cleared up, and the priests say that you are now clean. We no longer have that policy, thank God. Do not bring me your eczema. I do not want to touch it. So, go and show yourselves to the priests. 
They go to do it. Why is that a big deal? Think, think, think. But why is it a big deal for them? Go and show yourselves to the priests. At that very moment, why does that involve a stretch? Yes. All valid, but not the answer I want, so you are out of the class. Exactly. <laughs> He's a theology teacher at Austin Brown. <laughs> you got it right. They haven't yet been healed. They still have the leprosy, and yet they choose to do what Jesus tells them to do. Is this the biggest deal in the world? It's not. Remember last week? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, all he's asking is for them to extend themselves, even in their desperation, to do what he tells them to do. They go off, and on their way, they're miraculously. Cured, same straightforward major decision to obey in faith to do what Jesus tells them to do. If they don't obey, the healing is not going to unfold. Because they obey, the grace of God through Jesus unfolds in them. Much bigger, straightforward major decision number two. One of the ten, not the other nine. Makes the choice. They all could do this. One of them decides to go back and to give thanks to Jesus. He goes back and he praises God again, out in front of other people. He praises God for what's taken place. He falls at the feet of Jesus, clearly putting himself humbly in front of Jesus. And be sure you get this: he thanks Jesus. From the heart, in front of other people, and what does he give? Remember, Naaman gave some sort of valuable material. What does he give in his thanksgiving? I am not looking forward to the SAT results this year. What does he give? Think about it. What does he give? What does he materially give? Himself. That's all he's got. He's a leper. He falls. He gives his whole self, everything he has. He gives to Jesus, and he thanks Jesus. He's the one and only person in the entire New Testament who thanks Jesus directly for a miracle. Many people thank God or praise God. When Jesus does good things, he's the one and only person who thanks Jesus directly. So be sure you get this. Jesus then says, "I got to be sure I got the line right." Ah. Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Who has he just given thanks to? To Jesus. Jesus almost never does this. He says in that directly, "He is God." He tells that guy, "Your faith has saved you." 
Your giving thanks to me is giving thanks to God, and that has saved you. It's one of the most important moments in the New Testament. That man's choice to give thanks directly to Jesus is the single most important moment of his life. He has had the fullness of salvation laid out to him, and the other nine could have had the very same experience, but they've chosen not to give thanks to Jesus. So I just encourage you to grab onto this, which I promise you I will do this week, to summarize and conclude, obedience of faith. You and I in this messed up world, for whatever reason, have been given the ultimate gift, the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the only full source of salvation on this planet and eternally. Everything he tells us to do through the scripture, through the teaching of the church, is nothing but the truth. Anything I hear him tell me to do, I should obey. Whether I'm confused, whether I'm sinful, no matter how I feel, no matter how much drama there is, and no matter how much every single other person on TikTok is telling me that I'm insane, obey. I can do this, and I can grow this week. Number two, I can thank Jesus for every grace, every blessing, everything 24-7 if I choose to do it. He is the full revelation of God. He, the Father, and the Spirit, it's one God. Jesus is the person who comes to show me God. He's the person whom I can thank for everything, for breathing, for being alive for having any health, for having a house, for having food, for not being at war, for everything. Why do I spend so much time in the gutter? Why do I spend so much time criticizing and condemning and complaining when I have so many blessings? I can choose instead to thank Jesus personally for anything and everything this week. You can do the very same thing. Why are you spending all that time on that phone? Why are you talking about everybody else? Obey and give thanks and grow. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.